in prior weeks, in the foundation series, we started with the first foundational belief of our church, and that's the Bible. And we spent some time talking about the nature of the Bible, its inspiration, its inerrancy. We spoke about the canon and what that means. We spoke about different translations of the Bible. We spoke about principles of interpretation. We made the Bible the starting point because from it, we derive information about the rest of what we believe. And so if your attitude towards the scriptures is deficient, then you're going to have a distorted notion about everything else, including the wonderful topic we will begin tonight the topic of God. One of our foundational beliefs is belief in the existence of the God of the Bible. So for the next few Wednesday nights, Lord willing, that's the foundational topic that we're going to develop. We're going to talk about God. And when you think about talking about God, I suppose you have to ask the question, why do so if God doesn't even exist. So I thought about undertaking the task of proving to you the existence of God and then moving on from there. But then I thought, oh no, I don't want to prove the existence of God because I would rather be biblical. I want to be like one of the biblical writers. And as I read about the biblical writers, I find out that there is no attempt by any of them to prove the existence of God. I did find this by the psalmist in Psalm 14 verse 1. Listen, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And so I decided, you know, I don't want to be a fool. So I'm going to start our discussion with a presupposition. And this is the presupposition. Admittedly, it's a presupposition. Two words, God is. I'm not ashamed to tell you I'm starting out with an assumption. And the reason why I'm not ashamed to tell you that is everyone is living by presuppositions and assumptions. That's not the shame. The real issue is, are your assumptions valid? Are they correct? So I'm going on record. I'm saying I start out with the presupposition that God is. And I'm not going to attempt to prove God because the biblical writers do not. In fact, they simply declare that God exists. First verse of the first book It's the first chapter of the Bible. Genesis 1.1. Do you know it by heart? In the beginning. Stop. Moses is smart. (laughs) And if he makes no attempt to prove the existence of God, he just states it. I want to as well. God is. It would be laughable to the biblical writers then anyone of normal intelligence would question the existence of God. Now, don't get me wrong. Though we don't have to make an attempt to prove God, it is clear that the existence of God has been demonstrated. So rather than trying to persuade someone here that God exists, because if you're not persuaded, you have a more fundamental problem than I think I could address here in public. 
So instead of doing that, let me just declare to you that God exists and let's talk about how he demonstrates his existence. And when you see how he has demonstrated his existence, it seems to me a thinking person would come to the conclusion, God is. And then the next question would be, what then, oh God, who exists, do you expect of me? So let me read this to you. It's in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 20. For the wrath of God... I'll let you get there. Romans chapter 1, 18 to 20. If you don't have a Bible, there's uh, one on the seat back in front of you. Help yourself to it. Romans chapter 1, 18 to 20. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Why? Well, because that which is known about God is evident within them, conscience. That's one of the ways in which God demonstrates his existence. That which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, you can't see it unless he demonstrates his attributes. The invisible attributes of God, his eternal power and divine nature, three things have been clearly seen. How? Being understood through what has been made. Creation. So that's the second way in which God demonstrates himself. Conscience on the inside. Creation on the outside. And so it says, they are without excuse. You see? It's a morally foolish conclusion to come to that God does not exist when in fact he has evidenced himself internally through conscience and externally through that which he has made. Folks, a design must have a what? A designer. A watch must have a Watchmaker, a creature must have a creator. Let's not get too complicated. (laughs) That makes sense to me. Am I missing something? If you're a creature, you are not self-generated or you would be a creator. Since you're not a creator, you're not self-generated. You had a beginning. Everyone has a birth date. On three, let's shout out the day of our birth. Ready? One, two, three. November 4th, 1940. Did you hear mine? Don't forget mine. Okay. Everyone had a beginning point. But God existed in eternity past and exists. He has no beginning nor an end. He is self-generated. He is the creator. But every creature is generated by the creator. When you have something that works, it's because somebody made it work. I have to tell you something. We work. It's fascinating that the anatomy with which we have been created. The brain. And I know it goes awry and all of that. But it is astoundingly... Uh, effective and functions with great efficiency. It wor- we works. The earth works. You can count on it working in a predictable pattern, weather patterns, atmospheric conditions, and all the rest. We work. It works. Folks, when something works that well, we have to posit 
a workman behind it and much bigger than it. We work. It works because God makes it work. Listen, listen. The location of the earth is in just the right spot to receive the correct amount of heat from the sun. The sun's interior temperature, I was reading this, is estimated to be in excess of 20 million degrees Celsius. That's hot. The earth is located 93 million miles away from it. If the earth was located 10% closer to the sun, it would receive too much heat. If the earth was located 10% farther away from the sun than it is, it would not receive enough heat. Did this occur by chance or by design? I must tell you, I don't have enough faith (laughs) to believe it just happened by chance. I don't have enough faith. I need some demonstration. I need to come to a logical conclusion based on the evidence. And when I look to the design, I have to posit a designer behind it. Folks, the earth moves at a speed around the sun of 70,000 miles per hour. Good night. That's faster than people drive on 45. (laughs) 70,000 miles per hour. And, And while it's doing this, it is rotating on its axis. You know how fast? 1,000 miles an hour. It is a wonder that we just don't fall off. I mean, things are just spinning around at a rapid clip. It deviates when it's doing all this, 70,000 miles an hour and 1,000. When it's doing all this, it deviates from a straight line, the earth does in its rotation, by only one-ninth of an inch every 18 miles. We would burn to death if the earth deviated from that straight line by one-eighth of an inch. And we would freeze to death if it deviated from that line by one-tenth of an inch. Just one-ninth. So I ask you, (laughs) did this fantastic design occur by chance or by a designer? I don't have enough faith to say by chance. Don't you see? The fool has said in his heart, in his heart, Maybe he hasn't literally declared it, but in his lifestyle he has. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. How do you explain this design then? Psalm 19 verse 1. The heavens are telling of the glory of God. And their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. I don't have to prove God the audacity of the creature to think Uh, We have to prove God or he has to prove himself. He simply is and he's demonstrated his existence. The heavens are crying out in declaration of the magnificent work of God's hand. You know what's really a cool deal? Your eyes. They are really, even four of them. They're just, they're just, the eye, the, the organ, the eye is just a fact. Even, Dar- you know, Charles Darwin, you like him? Man, Charles Darwin, he said, it, it, with reference to, the, uh, to, 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 to uh, complicated organs, he said, if it could be demonstrated that any complex organ existed, if it could be demonstrated that any complex, is the eye a complex organ? Oh, yeah. If, Charles Darwin said, if it, if it could be demonstrated that any complex organ existed, which could not possibly have been formed by numerous successive slight modifications, my theory would absolutely 
break down. It does. Open your eyes. Look, your eye can process 1.5 million simultaneous messages. Can you fathom that? No, you can't. Your eye gathers 80% of all knowledge that is absorbed by your brain. Your eye. You would have to walk 50 miles a day for your leg muscles to get the same amount of exercise as the human eye in one day. Darwin. If it could be demonstrated that any complex organ existed which could not possibly have been formed by numerous successive slight modifications, my theory would absolutely break down. It breaks down, folks. Explain this to me through evolution. Explain it to me. Darwin even admitted this in a moment of tremendous candor. Listen, direct quote. He said, to suppose that the eye, with all its inimitable contrivances for adjusting the focus to different distances, for admitting different amounts of light, and for the correction of spherical and chromatic aberration, could have been formed by natural selection, seems, I freely confess, absurd in the highest sense. Charles Darwin. Don't you see the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Folks, there is a universe. Did you know that? (laughs) In other words, there is not nothing. There is something. And we believe this magnificent and grand something was caused by someone greater than itself. We believe God is that someone. He is He exists. The universe needed a cause at the beginning. We believe that first cause is Almighty God. In the beginning, Moses nailed it. In the beginning, God, it does not say was created. In the beginning, God created. By the word, that word created, bara in the Hebrew, it's only used in the Bible with reference to God. You know why? You can't pull it off and neither can I. Creative activity is in the sole purview of God. You're the creature, not the creator. We get into big trouble when we confuse that. Moses had it. In the beginning, God created. Folks, the greater the design, the greater the designer. Wow. How great is God. Someone offered this rather humorous illustration. Imagine a thousand monkeys... Um, sitting at typewriters for um, millions of years. Lots of monkeys, lots of years. What do you think the probability is that by chance occurrence, a thousand monkeys, that's a lot of monkeys, sitting at typewriters for millions of years, that's a lot of years. What do you think the chance occurrence is that they could have produced, by chance, Hamlet? See, the product, this literary product, posits, implies intelligence behind it, namely Shakespeare. But folks, the design of the universe, 
is far more complex than Hamlet. And if you're not buying the thousand monkeys for a million years of typewriter theory, you have no choice but to say, God is, and now, oh God, what do you want me to do? Do you have faith enough to believe that the universe happened by accident, by chance? I don't have that kind of faith. No, that's not, that's foolishness. Come on. That's foolishness. Folks, the more complex the design, the greater is the intelligence required to produce it. God produced the universe. Wow. God is. Carl Sagan, the famous agnostic, because he's not courageous enough to call himself an atheist, so he says, he's agnost- I'm not sure. Carl Sagan, the agnostic astronomer, really helps the cause here unwittingly. He said that the genetic information in the human brain, if written out, would fill over 20 million volumes. That's as many as are stored in the world's greatest libraries. There are the equivalent, think about it, in your head, 20 million books. It's no wonder we have such a headache. You get all this genetic material. And you doubt a designer behind it all? Come on. Listen, if the simplest computer requires an intelligent designer, please tell me how much more does your human brain require a designer? Come on. This God who is is not asking us to make some blind leap from logic to blind faith. Oh, no. He has demonstrated that he exists both in our conscience and in creation. So therefore, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. I mentioned to you the voice of of conscience. There's something going on inside of us. Forget about creation just for a second. Let's talk about your internal world based on Romans chapter 2. Can you turn to Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15? Romans 2, 14, 15. Hang in there just for a few more minutes. We're coming Coming in for a landing here. (laughs) Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. For when Gentiles who do not have the law, what law would that be? Law of Moses. See, the law of Moses was given to the Jews, right? So that's what it means here. When Gentiles do not have the law, when, when they who do not have the law, they weren't given the Ten Commandments in Mount Sinai, you know, When these who don't have the law do instinctively the things of the law. What are some of the things of the law? Don't lie, don't steal, don't kill, don't commit adultery. Those are the things of the law, right? When they they don't have these things on tablets, the Gentiles. But they have them somehow on their hearts, see. When they do these things instinctively, not having the law, it says, they are a law unto themselves in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts. Their, here's the operative word, their conscience bearing witness and their thoughts, alternately accusing or else defending them. Folks, there's something in us. I spoke about something out there that demonstrates the existence of the Creator, but there's something in us 
that tells us what we ought to do. That's why no thief steals in full view of witnesses. Everybody knows that stealing is wrong, with or without the Ten Commandments. So, so there's something in us, insights implanted in us. It's not a learned thing. It's in us. And it tells us when we're doing right and tells us when we're doing wrong. Something in, in us tells us when we do what we ought to do, <laughs> we ought to feel good. And when we do what we ought not do, we ought to feel convicted and ashamed and guilty and uncomfortable. And we hide when that happens. What, please tell me, where did that internal gauge, please tell me where the, that internal moral barometer, please tell me where that came from if not from the God who exists and who is moral, unapproachably holy in fact, and has given us objective standards of what's right and what's wrong. The moral law giver implanted that internal moral gauge in us. Otherwise, folks, think about it. How could you and I agree that such things as child abuse or rape or robbery or murder is wrong? How could we agree? How could we come up with some objective moral standard? And we do. It's fascinating how universal are these moral standards, regardless of the culture. It's quite amazing. Where did it come from? Ah, a universal moral law giver, God Almighty. When we violate his laws, with or without the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments inscribed on tablets, they're inscribed inside on our hearts. And when we violate them, our conscience screams out, red light, red light, guilt, shame, condemnation, conviction, indebtedness, transgression, missing the mark, iniquity, whatever it is. Where do we get that? You don't need a preacher for that. Because God Almighty, the moral lawgiver, implanted a code of morality into each of us. How could we even use language like this is right and that is wrong? Please tell me. Look it. When these Hollywood libertarians say if it feels good, do it. And pulls out all the stops and do in the most crazy and insane things. And then when interviewed, have the gall to state their values about what's right and what's wrong. It's the quintessence of hypocrisy. How do you know what's right and what's wrong? If there isn't a God who defined it and who implanted the, the very notion of what's right and what's wrong within us. How could we even converse together? If we have no understanding of what, and no agreement, no universality with reference to the concepts of right and wrong. And if there is such universal understanding, please tell me where did it, who did it come from? I'll tell you who. From the God who is. And with whom every one of us will have to make do. Folks, there is an objective lawgiver. But you have the atheist. A negates what comes after it, atheist, no God. So you have the no God people. The atheist is a person who holds to the belief there ain't God. 
Okay, that's the claim. The atheist essentially says, I know God does not exist. The theist says, I know God exists. The atheist says, I know God does not exist. However, that declaration cannot be proven. It's logically inconsistent. Look, in order to make that statement, I know God does not exist, a person would have to be everywhere at the same time. See, if you say, I'm looking over here behind these drum things, and God does, you can say God doesn't exist here. But you'd have to be over there at the same time. He may not exist at this side of the platform, but since you can't be at this side and that side at the same time, you, you can't really make that statement. Yeah, but here's it. The only way you can make that statement, I know God doesn't exist, you would have to be everywhere at the same time, which would make you what? Omnipresent. Who alone has the characteristic of being omnipresent? Ah. So in order to disprove God, you'd have to be... Ah, and you just proved God. You see? That's why the Bible says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Folks, my conscience tells me God is. Creation tells me God is. And the scriptures, the foundation of our belief system tells me God is. The only question is, oh, then, great God, what do you like? And what do you want me to do? And this, God willing, we shall develop in greater detail in the weeks ahead. What then is God like? Do you know this song? It's a good one. Oh, Lord, my God, when I, in awesome wonder, when I, in awesome wonder, consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars. I hear the rolling thunder. Thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then I dismiss it all and say there ain't no God. No. Then sings my soul. My Savior God to thee. How great thou art. Let's stand together and sing that song together. Let's sing. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars. I hear the rolling thunder. Thy power throughout the universe display. Here's the right response. Let's go. Then sings my soul. My Savior God to thee, how great thou art, 
How great Thou art! Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art! How great Thou! Yes, Almighty God, and thank you for letting us know you personally and by name, Lord Jesus, Creator God, Agent of Creation, and the reason creation is for your glory, Lord Jesus. Thank you for impressing upon us not only your existence, but your attributes of mercy and forgiveness and grace and adoption and pardon and eternality and hope and peace and life abundant and everlasting. Thank you for cleansing us, O thou great cleansing agent, through the precious shed blood which you offered freely and on behalf of us who need it. Thank you for making us sons and daughters no longer debtors or adversaries. Thank you, almighty God, for squeezing yourself somehow into human form for the sole purpose of establishing a connection with us. Thank you, Son of God, for becoming Son of Man so that we could become sons and daughters of God. Omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient one, knowing, therefore, the hearts and thoughts of everyone here Search us, O God, and see our ways. Are they right? Are they true? Are they hurtful? Are they helpful? O God, straighten us out where we are crooked so that we can know you more. No, O God, in your power of conviction and persuasion, that is to say in the power of your Holy Spirit, would you adopt even tonight into your family the one or the two who would say, Lord Jesus, how great thou art. I've had great sin, and you have offered a great pardon. This is surely the greatest story ever told. Come into my life, Lord Jesus. Forgive me a sinner. Help me to know you more and live according to your design, not just for mountains and rivers and streams, but for me. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.